This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. truth about the Holy Spirit, and we started this last week uh, digging in, talking about, um, talking about the truth of who the Holy Spirit is. Um, I'm sorry, guys. How many of you, your devices just don't work sometimes? And my app keeps locking up. There we go. Closed it, reopened it. We're good to go. Um, I'm going to continue with part two of, uh, of ghost stories, talking about the Holy Spirit. And I told you guys last week, this can be a sensitive subject sometimes. Um, there's a lot of confusion out there. There's a lot of um, sometimes contention and conflict when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Um, and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is in different Christian circles and sects and denominations, whatever it may be. And we're talking about how, you know, a lot of churches don't talk about the Holy Spirit anymore, any, except maybe to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Outside of that, a lot of times they avoid this topic because they don't want to freak anybody out because the world has this idea that the Holy Spirit is about, and these are some of the things we talked about last week, some of y'all put on Facebook on that little poll I did, that when the Holy Ghost comes up, people think about emotionalism and peculiar things, wild, crazy people rolling on the floor, jumping pews, speaking in tongues, foolishness, looniness, all these different things. And so we talked about how much of what we see in the Spirit-filled church, it is foolishness to the world. Y'all agree with that? The Bible says it. And to those especially who have been taught against the move of the Holy Spirit and taught um, things that, you know, are contrary or are simply ignorant to it. So I really need to jump in. We're going we're gonna to move quick today because I, I really I still I want to do a little bit of a recap from last week. And I want to spend a little bit of time on number one. I gave you last week three common misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. Number one was that he's not a person. As we talked about, the Holy Spirit is not a ghost. He's not a power. He's not a force. If we look at it like that, if we look at the Holy Spirit as some mystical force, then really what we're doing is we're denying his identity as the third person of the Trinity. He's not just some force floating around. He is absolutely a person. He is the third person of the Godhead, which he has been for all of eternity. And I also mentioned, by the way, that Holy Spirit is not his first and last name. Holy Spirit, just like Jesus Christ, it's not his first and last name, if any of you didn't know that. Holy Spirit is not his first and last name, it's his function. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have no problem calling the Father the Father. We have no problem calling Jesus, Jesus. We have no problem calling the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. These are their functions. However, their name is God. Does this make sense? We talked about how um, much uh, the, how the Holy Spirit is very much alive and is a person. He's alive today. He lives in the life of every believer and enables us to, to be that new creation in Christ. And we talked about how much of the church today doesn't realize that the Holy Spirit is no less God than the Father or than Jesus. We have no problem picturing the Father. Most of us, when we picture the Father, we see, uh, who was the old guy in that old movie? He played God. Um, 
George Burns. <laughs> yeah, George Burns. Or we pictured some painting we've seen of this man with a white beard sitting on a throne. And so we, are you able to picture God? And we've all seen pictures about uh, movies about Jesus. And so we have, in paintings, we have no problem picturing Jesus. But we don't picture the Holy Spirit the same. We don't really have a picture of the Holy Spirit as a person to look at. And so many people don't look at him as a person. And so he's no less a person than the Father and the Son. And this is all, you know, we have our preconceptions and things we've been taught with that cause us to struggle with this idea of the Holy Spirit as a person. We talk about how the Holy Spirit has a mind, a will, and emotions, which are the things that make up a soul. So the Holy Spirit has a soul. Those are also the things that make up a personality. If you are confused about that and you didn't hear last week, go back to last week. We have Scripture backing all that up. But he has a mind, he has a will, and he has emotions. He is a person. The problem is, as we talked about last week, you've seen some people do some weird things in the name of the Holy Spirit. And as I said last week, some people who do weird things in the name of the Holy Spirit would still be weird without the Holy Spirit. But understand this as well. We call things weird that we don't understand. Our entire lives, since the moment we were born, everything we've encountered in life we have thought was weird at some point or another from the moment that we were born. I've said it thousands of times in my life. I've seen something and said, that's weird. Why? Because I had never seen it, never experienced it, didn't understand it. Does this make sense? So we call things weird that we don't understand. So I learned years ago to not immediately discount something simply because I don't understand it. That's why I began the series last week by saying, Let's agree to have an open mind going into this. Whatever your background may be, whatever your teaching may have been uh, in your life, keep an open mind because there may be some... Do you, do you think it's possible that there's some things about God we don't understand? Do you think there's some things about God that we will find out one day that we're going to find weird? We're going to go, whoa, that's weird. I didn't know that. Don't discount something simply because you don't understand it. But no matter what weirdness you've seen, the Holy Spirit is God. So he follows the same standards as the Father and he follows the same standards as the Son, as Jesus. People have this idea, if they submit to this whole idea of the Holy Spirit, that he is going to take them over and cause them to do something foolish against their will. God does not never forces us to do something against our will. The Holy Spirit will never do something against your will. You have to submit to the Holy Spirit, just like we submit to the Lord. We submit our lives to the Father. You can be a normal person and believe in the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be goofy. You don't have to be a weirdo. And we talked about last week, the end of that point last week, I said one of the greatest schemes of the devil has been to make people, especially Christians, afraid of God the Holy Spirit. The enemy doesn't want us flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit and drawing people back to the Lord. So my first point last week was simply to say the Holy Spirit is a person. He has a personality. He has a mind, will, and emotions. He loves you. He's not weird. And he's always been dedicated to drawing all of humanity to the Father. Second thing I gave you, I'm going to hit these next two real quick so we can jump into today's. Second thing I gave you was he shows up only when he feels like it. 
We talked about how when before Jesus came to earth, the Holy Spirit didn't reside in human beings. He would fall upon or come upon a person to empower them to do something that God had called them to do in a moment or for a period of time. We gave the examples of Samson. We gave the example of Saul. We gave the example of Bezalel. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon someone to accomplish a task that God had. And when that task was complete, the Holy Spirit would lift from them, and they generally would no longer have that ability. Make sense? However, after Jesus, things changed. We know that the temple veil was torn in two as Jesus hung that cross, signaling the breaking of the walls between God and man. Man could now be reconciled to the Father. God's work of reconciling man was made complete in Christ. And when we repent of our sins and we surrender to Jesus, God deposits the Holy Spirit in us to live in us. He takes up residence in us and makes us his temples. So he did come and go in Old Testament times, but now we're in Christ. And since we're in Christ, the Holy Spirit is with us all the time. And the Bible says that he is the seal of our salvation. So if you have surrendered your life to Jesus and you're a follower, disciple of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is with you and he is the seal of your salvation. The last thing I mentioned last week, last myth, misconception, is the Holy Spirit is present when you feel goosebumps. How many of you have felt Holy, Holy Spirit goosebumps before? You've felt God's presence. I don't know if they need to raise their hand or not. How many of you would say that you have, you have felt the presence of God before? There was a moment where you just knew that God was there. You're like, wow. You felt his love and his embrace. Those moments, I believe, are important. I believe everybody should have those moments when the Holy Spirit was just undeniable. Sometimes we can feel him, but the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. Sometimes you don't feel anything at all. Sometimes you might get goosebumps, sometimes you might not. Sometimes you might get goosebumps, like I said last week, and you might just be cold. Doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit. While he does sometimes make his presence felt, the truth is we don't need goosebumps or some feeling to know that he's present and ready to work. And the last thing I left you with last week is the greatest miracle that the Holy Spirit can ever do, I think sometimes is the one that we count the least, the one that we forget about. The greatest miracle he can do is repent, is, re I'm sorry, forgive. The greatest thing the Holy Spirit can do, the greatest miracle is to forgive sin and save. But we don't get nearly as excited when the Holy Spirit finally breaks through in somebody's life and they surrender and they receive Jesus. We don't get nearly as excited as we do when we see somebody healed or we see a different move of the Holy Spirit. But that is the greatest miracle the Holy Spirit does. So, moving on. And, guys, this, is, this, this thing is getting bigger and, and bigger on me. And I, I'm, I, I might have to, I'm having to pray and see how far I'm supposed to go because uh, this could go on for the rest of the year. Um, I meant to get a lot further today than I'm going to. Um, I, I gave you at the end of the message last week some questions I wanted to answer. And I'm going to answer a couple of those today. But uh, my main thing for today is what is the role of the Holy Spirit? What is the role of the Holy Spirit? If you did, you should have gotten a service guide when you came in. Inside of that service guide should be a note sheet. We invite you to follow along. You can also follow along on the uh, YouVersion Bible app. Uh, if you go to live events on there, um, you can follow along. The notes are in there as well. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit? And that's what we're going to talk about. You can see I, I had actually had a bunch of points I, a few days ago, condensed it down to just two. Uh, just two points. But before I give you those two points, I'm, gonna just, I'm, I'm just going to give you the answer. Is that all right? 
Just going to give you the answer. Then, then we'll break it down into a couple of things. So what is the role of God the Holy Spirit? His primary function has always been to draw all mankind to the Father. His primary function is to draw all mankind to the Father. Everything the Holy Spirit does, guys, everything the Holy Spirit does points to the Father through Jesus. Everything. So I'm going to break this down into two things, two basic roles of the Holy Spirit in the earth today. And, you know, a, a lot of you uh, sent me messages. Thank you so much that you enjoyed last week. And a few of you said I was funny and whatever. Guys, we're going to be moving today, and i got a lot of Scripture. So you all ready to dig in? We're going to dig in, and we're going to take a look at this for just a few minutes. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Number one, to convict the world of sin. This is the most basic primary role of the Holy Spirit, to convict the world of sin. So we really, actually we see this before Genesis chapter 6, but if you go to Genesis chapter 6, we're right at the point where the world has gotten evil. People have turned away from the Lord. Actually, Sean and I recently went to, how many of you have been to the Ark Encounter and seen the Ark? No, how, man, massive, pretty cool to see. This is right before, this is right at the time of Noah in Genesis chapter 6. And it says that when God saw the wickedness of the earth, it was, it was exceedingly great, he declared his intention of destroying man off the face of the earth. It says because the imagination of his heart was only evil continually. And it says, and God declared, my spirit will not always strive with man. Spirit there, by the way, is the same word I used last week. If you remember a couple of times, I talked about, it's, it's actually the word pneuma, which means breath, wind. It is the same word in Holy Spirit that's, that's used there. So, my spirit will not always strive with man. Now, guys, that tells me that up to this point, guess what the Holy Spirit had been doing? He had been striving with man. The Holy Spirit had been drawing people. The Holy Spirit had been convicting of sin before the time of Noah, before the ark was built. This is the function of the Holy Spirit. Though he was striving with them, in their hearts, they knew what they were doing was evil. And they knew it was wrong. And they closed their minds, they closed their hearts to what they knew about God. They closed their hearts to the draw of the Holy Spirit. And God said, it will not always be. My spirit will not always strive with them. Judgment was declared, and guess what? It started to rain. I'm going to read to you uh, John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. In John chapter 16, this is Jesus speaking. And it says here, 16 verse 8, and I'm, most of my reading today is going to be from the English Standard Version. It says, when he comes, now this is Jesus speaking, when he comes, he, if you go back in the chapter and look, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Look at it in context. When he comes, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Because they don't believe in who? Jesus, okay? Um, he will convict the world concerning righteousness 
because I go to the Father and you will never see me. You, you will no longer, you will see me no longer, I'm sorry. And will convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world, the author of sin, the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, the one that we bought into as humanity, we bought into his schemes, caused the human race to fall, right? He has been judged. And so the Holy Spirit will come and bring um, conviction concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, we don't tend to like the word convict or conviction because uh, the main reason I think for that is because we get confused with the word condemn, condemnation. The word convict, I think that's in your notes, the word convict simply means to prove or declare guilty of an offense. Some of you still don't like that word. But let me ask you, how many of you have been proven or declared guilty of an offense? Not many of us. Cool. Got a lot of Jesuses in this room now. We have all been proven and declared guilty of an offense. That's conviction. This is how many of us came to Christ. Whatever your moment may have looked like when it came to when you received Christ, you realize that you could not continue life on your own. You recognize that you were dead and lost in your sin. This realization came through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that was, that was pulling on you. Some of you were in a church service, and a preacher was given an altar call, and your heart was just pounding, and you felt this deep conviction within you. It was the Holy Spirit. He was standing there, and he was saying, come on. It's your time. Come on. Come on. He was drawing you back. He was drawing you to the Father through Jesus. Even as believers, we all feel conviction sometimes, right? The state of our lives is brought to our attention. And look, many times sin is highlighted when we feel conviction, isn't it? True? Man, y'all are quiet. How many of you have felt conviction because of the condition of your life? Even as a believer, we've felt it before. Usually sin is highlighted because we talked about last, last week. It grieves the Lord. It hurts us, and it breaks down intimacy between us and the Lord. If we respond properly, however, if we repent, we can move forward. It's the way God designed this whole thing to work. It's a great thing. Conviction is one of the best things that could ever happen to us. It's God bringing to our attention the things that are holding us back and hurting us in this life and keeping us from accomplishing what he has for us as believers. It's a great thing. It's basically we're walking the path with the Lord and we're, we're distracted and we're getting off path. And he comes along and his conviction that taps us on the shoulder and says, hey, wrong way, wrong way. Taps us back. Get back on track. It's one of the best things that could ever happen. The word condemn, which we, like I said, a lot of times we equate them to the same thing, means to express an unfavorable or adverse judgment on. To indicate strong disapproval of. To sentence judgment or punishment. To judge or pronounce to be unfit for use or service. Guys, the Holy Spirit never brings condemnation. Let me tell you why. Because he's drawing us to the person who's already taken the judgment. Condemnation is about judgment. 
The Holy Spirit doesn't condemn because he's drawn us to the person who already took the judgment upon himself. Does this make sense? There's no need for the Holy Spirit to heap judgment on us, to heap condemnation on us. Jesus took our condemnation and his blood declares us clean and free and innocent. So when people hear the statement that the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, they think that the Holy Spirit is up there saying, I see you. I saw what you did. I thought you repented. Nope, you did it again. I'm going to get you. Guys, that's not it at all. Does conviction bring attention to sin? Yeah, it absolutely will bring attention to sin. But it's not because God is going to get you. It's to bring your attention to your desperate need for a Savior. It's not pointing as much to the sin as it is to Jesus. Does this make sense? Man, y'all quiet today. I need to turn the heat down. Everybody a little cooler in here. It's about hope. It's about redemption. It's about repentance. It's in no way a negative thing. It's the most positive thing in the world, actually, that he can convict us and bring us to the point of repentance and forgive sin. It's the greatest thing ever. As we know, the world is a dark and sinful place, and one of the Holy Spirit's primary tasks is convince the world of sin. That's why it doesn't matter how much you preach or yell or plead or point your finger in somebody's face, you can't save someone. You can't convict of sin. If you try, it's going to be condemnation. Does this make sense? Only the Holy Spirit can convict someone of sin. Many people are discouraged when they try to witness or share their faith and a person doesn't repent and accept Christ in that moment. What are we doing putting that pressure on ourselves? We weren't meant to do that. It's only the Holy, if only the Holy Spirit can convict and save and lead to salvation, why would we put the pressure on ourselves? We're just told to do our part, to go into the, all the world and minister the gospel, to love with the love of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job to draw them to the Father. It's His job to do the saving. It's not ours. So why would we want to do the Holy Spirit's job? It's kind of like the Bible tells us, Jesus, one of the last things He said was, He said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It's in the Bible, right? So there are people, I've known so many people, who would not pray for somebody because they were afraid they would not get healed and we'd be disappointed or doubt God or whatever it may be. Just being real frank, it's none of our business whether they get healed. We are simply told to obey. We're told to lay hands on, to pray for the sick. The they shall recover part is his responsibility. That's his job. So quit carrying the pressure of it and simply be obedient. We too often try to carry God's responsibility on ourselves. It's not our job. It's not our job to heal. It's not our job to save. It's not our job to convict of sin. Let's leave it up to the Holy Spirit and let him do his work as we obey. So one of the Holy Spirit's tasks is convict the world of sin. 
With that said, what is the most basic sin of which the world is guilty? Jesus said it was unbelief. Unbelief. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin to recognize our need for a Savior, to believe in the Savior. The Holy Spirit lovingly and patiently, I might add, points us to the Father through Jesus. How many would say the Holy Spirit was very, very patient with you? Extremely, extremely patient. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin so that we recognize our need for a Savior. With that said, I'm going to answer another one of the questions I mentioned last week. So it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sin. So with that said, let me address what we love to call in the church the unpardonable sin. Everybody say, ooh, yeah, the unpardonable sin. Here's where this comes from. Mark chapter 3, verses 28 and 29, Jesus speaking. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven of all their sins. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) And every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Guys, I've heard Christians say that if you make fun of or even reject something that is a move of the Holy Spirit, you may be guilty of the unpardonable sin and never be forgiven. You may be here and you may believe that. I've known people in our church that believe that. Guys, this has never made sense to me whatsoever. Many of us are probably guilty of this at some point. Early on, especially, maybe before we were a believer, before we knew anything about the Holy Spirit, we saw something that may have been a genuine move of the Spirit, and we laughed at it. We said, what silliness. That's ridiculous. Doesn't make sense to me. You mean to tell me that God can forgive the Apostle Paul for systematically killing the leaders of the early church, but he can't forgive someone who pokes fun at a move of the Holy Spirit? Doesn't make sense, folks. Is, I can't believe the Holy Spirit's that sensitive. I don't believe it. I looked it up. The word blaspheme, the most basic root of the word blaspheme there simply means insult. So with what we've talked about today about the Holy Spirit, what is the greatest possible insult to the Holy Spirit? Rejecting him. Yes. It's rejecting him as he lovingly and as we said patiently draws us to the Father. Salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not in the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit into the kingdom. Rejecting that draw. If we reject that work, if we reject that draw over and over and over again, guess what? Eventually it's going to be too late. Eventually it's going to be too late. See, The sin that condemned us took place in this natural physical life, and so repentance has to take place in this natural physical life. So, once you take your last breath, time is up. 
So here's the Holy Spirit. He's been lovingly and patiently drawing you all of your life. All of your life, he's been drawing you. And you may not have even said it out loud, but by rejecting him, you said, no, no, I don't need you. I know what's best. I don't believe you. What an insult to your creator who sent his son to die in your place so that you could be brought back to him. What an insult. Remember Romans, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 6? It may not always be so. My spirit will not always strive with man. There you go. That's what I have believed for a long time. That's what I believe the unpardonable sin is. It's rejection of that draw of the Holy Spirit because his primary purpose is to convict the world of sin and draw all of mankind back to the Father. We reject that. It's unpardonable. We breathe our last breath, it's over. There's nothing else that can be done for us. I've known spirit-filled Christians who love the Lord, but they had been haunted for years by this idea that they had once committed the unpardonable sin. I would just say, if that's you, be released from that fear in Jesus' name and continue on. If you need to repent, repent. Repent. The Lord can handle it. Repent and move forward. Amen? God forgives. All that to say, number one, primary role of the Holy Spirit, convicting all of mankind of sin and revealing our need for a Savior. Is that not the best news that the world will ever hear? Some of you aren't convinced. Let's go to number two. (laughs) Number two, Role of the Holy Spirit is to equip the believer. To equip the believer. And I'm going to have to move because i got a lot under this. <laughs> There's several things to look at. And look, some of this we're going to talk about later. But we talked about a few things already. We talked about last week. He draws us. He unites us with Christ. He places us in the body. He seals our salvation. Real quickly, John 3, verses 3 through 7, it says, Jesus answered him saying, truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking Nicodemus, right? Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit. Guys, I looked it up. Guess what? It's the word pneuma, breath, wind. It's the Holy Spirit, born of water and the Spirit. Water's just talking about of the womb physically. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is the flesh. That which is born of the Spirit, notice it is a capital S in Scripture. Again, it's the word pneuma, is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one Spirit, it's pneuma, we are all baptized into one body. Not talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit, talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Talking about salvation. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew and Greek, slave and free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit, pneuma. Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of what? The Holy Spirit. 
So guys, that's the first thing I'm doing here, talking about equipping the believer. Firstly, we've got to understand that, that the Holy Spirit did the work of drawing us to the Father, baptizing us into the kingdom and sealing our salvation. Now, for us as believers, it's also the Holy Spirit's job to enable us to live in victory over sin. Let's look at that for a minute. Romans chapter 6. And I'm going to read 10 verses here, and I'm, I'm just reinforcing this, this thought here. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sins that grace may abound? By no means. Saying as believers, followers of Jesus, we're to turn from our sin. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Somebody say thank you, Jesus, again. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we, believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once and for all, sorry, for the death he died, to die, for the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So can we all agree in this, that as believers, we are not to live in sin. We are to turn from it. It's how we get saved. It starts with repentance of sin, turning from it. Doesn't mean you're not going to mess up, but I highly suggest that if you've surrendered your life to Christ, you need to be a person that's quick to repent and turn from sin. It said that our old self is crucified with Christ. So we've been made this new creation, and that new creation should be eager to please God. But how do we keep from satisfying the desires of the flesh? How many of you will admit that you struggle with the desires of the flesh sometimes. Again, man, it's like six of us. Man, y'all are in good shape. It's good shape. I struggle with it every day. I don't know. So, we're going to look at Galatians 5.16 here for a moment. Y'all know this, but you know Galatians 5.22 probably, but let's go back to verse 16. It says, but I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not do what? Gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Walking in the Spirit, gratifying the flesh, they're opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then we know this part. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things of the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when our life is truly surrendered to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in 
and helps enable us to live a life free of sin, to live a life of righteousness. And actually it goes on, we're going to go to the next scripture, it talks about how it will produce, the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, this is what we were told to walk in, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. No law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? Well, verse 16 says, to walk by the Spirit. And then it says in verse, um, let's see. And then back to verse 22 about the fruit of the Spirit. It says, Keeping in step with him, the fruit of the Spirit is what comes forth from the Holy Spirit. This is what should come forth from us as well. And these are the things that help us to overcome sin in our lives. Does this make sense? And this is huge, especially if we remember that Jesus said, that he said, you will know my followers by their fruit. John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified, Jesus speaking, that you bear much fruit so that you prove to be my disciples. It's by the fruit of our lives, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that we prove that we're disciples of Jesus. This is also important because this is what the world sees when they look at us. Our job, our reason for being in the earth is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's to go into all the world and make disciples. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us and empowers us and equips us for this work. And the fruit of our life is what they see, whether it's good fruit or bad fruit. But it's the fruit of the Spirit that should be coming forth. It's the fruit of the Spirit. That's part of what enables us to share the love of God and the gospel with others. This is what opens the door up with people so they're able to receive from us. It's the fruit of the Spirit coming forth in our life. That they would feel the heart of God revealed through the fruit of the Spirit coming out of us. So... I'm just going to hit uh, several more things here for just the next couple minutes. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is our helper. John 15, 26 to 27. Jesus speaking again. He says, when the helper comes, by the way, again, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, He's called two things here. He's called helper. He's called spirit of truth. The word helper, some versions, your version may say comforter. It may say advocate, whatever it may be. The Greek word is perkletos, and it simply means helper, counselor, encourager, mediator. It even means assistant. How many of you would love to have somebody in your life who was a helper, a counselor, an encourager, a mediator, an assistant? How awesome is that? It also can be translated, one who comes alongside. This was also, Paracletos, this was also used as a military term back in that day. When they, you know, somebody was always at war back in those days. And sometimes they would have to march for days to war. If one of the troops gets tired carrying his equipment and everything else as they're marching, going on for days, if they get weak and are about to fall, the soldier on either side of them would link arms with them in the middle and help to lift them up and support them so that they could keep walking. How many of you could use somebody to come alongside you sometimes in his life and be a support 
and to be a help. How else can he help us? John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom I send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Remember we talked last week about the whole, how the Holy Spirit knows everything? The Holy Spirit will bring back to your remembrance everything that Jesus taught. He also, since he knows everything, and he knows the heart and the will of the Father, and it says that he knows the thoughts of the Father, he can lead you into this, his specific will for your life. Remember we talked about last week, the Word of God is God's general will. The Holy Spirit brings us God's specific will. The Holy Spirit does that. Um, let's see where we at. And so with that in mind, if he will teach us all things, like Jesus said, and if he can bring things to our remembrance, do you realize the Holy Spirit can speak to us? A lot of people say that God doesn't speak today. Holy Spirit speaks. How else is he going to bring back to our remembrance everything that Jesus said? How else is he going to teach us all things? He speaks. He's leading and he's guiding. The Bible says he helps us pray. Romans 8, verses 26 through 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Thank you, Jesus. Or thank you, Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You ever, known not, you ever not known what to pray? You ever been speechless and just, God, I just don't even know? says the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. He knows what to pray. Um, the Holy Spirit is a revealer of truth. As we talked about a minute ago, the Bible calls him the spirit of truth. Back John 16, uh, verses 12 through 13, Jesus said, I have many things to say to you. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. But the spirit of truth, that's the word pneuma again, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. I don't know about you, but this sounds very helpful to me. The Holy Spirit teaches us things. He's able to help us understand and interpret God's Word. Have any of you ever been there before, maybe early on, and you started, and the, the Bible was just confusing, but you receive the Holy Spirit, and, or you pray. I, I pray before I get into the Word. I usually pray, and I'll say, Holy Spirit, as I get into God's Word, I pray that you reveal the truth to me. You show me the things you want to show to me. Give me fresh new revelation. All of a sudden, things will start making sense and coming together, and you're going, wow, where did this come from? It's the Holy Spirit. He knows it all. He knows the heart and the will of the Father. He reveals truth to us when it comes to our life, to worship, to Christian living. He guides us. He goes before us. He leads the way. He reveals and removes obstacles from our life. He opens our understanding to make things more plain and clear. And he tells us of the things to come. Guys, I, I, I'm sorry if this goes against what you've been taught, but Jesus said it. John 16, 13, he will declare to you the things that are to come. I remember, um, I remember one night, um, actually, me and Sean and the kids had been over at, um, at the McGee's house. Actually, Charles was there. I, it's, he, I think he was still living at home at the time, back years ago. And, and they live uh, 
his parents live out off uh, Pisgah Road, if y'all know where that is. Um, anyway, uh, one night we left their house, and um, me and Sean and the, and the, I almost said three girls, sorry, Aaron, three kids. Um, I was about to pull out off this little road onto, onto Pisgah Road, and if I took a left, I went toward Macon, but if I took a right, I went toward Houston Levee, if y'all can picture where I'm at. And it's raining, it's pouring rain. And I always take a left and shortcut through and take Houston Levy back down here toward Olive Branch and stuff. But I'm sitting there, I pull up that stop sign, and all of a sudden it just hit me. I felt like I needed to take a right turn. And I was like, that's weird. And I actually sat there at that stop sign for a second. And I was like, why would I take a right turn and go all the way around, go all the way around the interstate and, you know, whatever else, you know, to get back when I can get just cut through. And I thought, it's raining, but I know these roads. I'll be all right. And I took that left turn anyway. And I'm driving along Pisgah before I got to Macon Road. And, guys, just something. I just started feeling sick inside. I just could not contain myself. I didn't know what in the world the deal was. And I pulled up to the stop sign at Macon, and I just sat there just feeling sick. And Shauna, by this point, looks at me, and she goes, what are you doing? What's wrong? Because I'm just sitting there at this stop sign, and it's dark out, and not a car on the road, and it's pouring rain. And I'm sitting there at Macon Road and Pisgah. And I was going to continue on straight down toward, actually, it'd be Raleigh LaGrange. I was going to continue on straight down there, but I'm sitting there, and I just, man... And I finally took a right turn. I, I was like, you know what? I'm just going gonna, gonna to turn on Macon. And immediately that thing was gone. And I felt, I felt normal again. Guys, I don't know what was going to happen on that road that night. But something was going to happen. And I needed to take a right turn. The Holy Spirit will speak to us and reveal to us the things that are to come. I was thinking, and guys, it's not always... It's not always that clear. You, you realize that God cares about the simple things in your lives? We think that he only cares about the big things. We don't want to bring the little things to him. We think, oh, that's little for God. And I remember one time driving along, and I, I was in a hurry. I was going to be late getting somewhere, and I'm, I'm rushing. I'm going fast. And I knew the street I was headed to to turn, but there was another way to go that was the further way around, but I knew, I knew I, was, I, I started feeling like I was supposed to take a turn at this light, but I wanted to go on down to the next one to make a turn, which was down a ways. And I, 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 was, I sat there and I totally, I thought, why, am, why would I want to take a right turn? It kept coming to my mind as I'm sitting at this light. And I finally went on down to the next light and got caught by a train that I would have missed if I had taken that other turn. Would have been slightly longer, but I was far later sitting there. It's a simple thing. I believe that's the Holy Spirit speaking in our lives. He cares about even the little things. He speaks to us. He guides us. He warns us. He encourages us. He reveals things to us. And guys, there is so much to say about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit delivers on God's promises in our lives. Uh, Y'all talk about that in Sunday school this morning? I'm not going to expound on that. But, but we can talk about that another time. Um, when it comes... Um, so the way the Holy Spirit helps in our lives, the last thing I want to mention that I'm not really going to spend any time on today, there's not time, but the Holy Spirit is a gift giver. And I mentioned last week, you know, the Bible tells us clearly in 1 Corinthians 12 that there are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they are available to all believers in order that we might function as the body of Christ in the earth, showing God's grace and bringing Him glory. And again... 
pointing everybody back to the Father through Jesus. We'll talk about that, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that next time. That all right? Didn't get as far as I wanted to, but anybody here learning a few things? Good. Let's all stand up. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we, uh, as we conclude. As I said last week, I was laying groundwork, and I felt like I'm still laying groundwork for who the Holy Spirit is in our lives. But as I told you, if you'll be open, I believe the Lord will show you new things and reveal new things to you that you never knew before. Amen? Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Guys, as the point of today, the point is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life is to draw you to the Lord. He's there and he's pointing you back to the Father. And so first and foremost, as we end every service, I want to give you that opportunity to embrace that call. You may be here, you may be watching online, but if you, you may feel it right now, the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart and saying, this is your time. What are we talking about? We're talking about surrendering our life to Christ. We're talking about salvation. That work of the Holy Spirit done through the cross when Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. You may be here and you may have surrendered your life to Jesus before. Maybe you prayed a prayer, but you recognize today that your life is not truly surrendered. You recognize that you're not seeking God's will for your life. You're not being equipped by the Holy Spirit so that you can carry out God's will in the earth today. You recognize that you live living for yourself and your own selfishness has consumed you and you recognize your need for a savior. Or you may have never received Christ before. You may have, you may have been baptized in your grandma's church when you were five and you thought that that was good enough. Guys, salvation's not about that baptism in water. Salvation is about surrendering our life to Christ. It's about what we read about repenting of our sin and allowing our old self to be crucified with Jesus on that cross, being made a new creation and living every day with every breath we take to carry out God's will in the earth. With every head bowed, if that's you and you're here and you would say, I submit today to the work of the Holy Spirit who's drawn my life. I need Jesus. If that's you, just lift your hand. Let me see this morning. Who would say it? All right, who else? Who else would say, I need Jesus in my life. I need to surrender to the call of the Holy Spirit. Anybody else? All right, you can put your hands down. We're gonna pray a prayer together. And if you're watching online, guys, there's no distance in the spirit. All you gotta do is mean these words with all your heart. Recognizing that it's not about the words, it's about the condition of your heart. It, it requires change. Repentance isn't something you can say. It's something that you do. You decide that your life is going to be different. You're not going to live for yourself, but you're going to live for him. You decide to lay your life down because Jesus laid his down for you and to follow him all the days of your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for sending your only son, that spotless lamb, 
that willingly took my punishment, my judgment, my sin, my shame, my sickness, my disease. He took it all and he took it willingly. He took it to the cross and he took it to the grave. He took it on my behalf. He took my place. And today I thank you for that. Jesus, I receive you as my sacrifice. I declare that you are now Lord of my life. I believe that you are who you say you are. I declare that you are the son of the living God. And I lay down my life for you. And I'll follow you all the days of my life. I will turn from my sin and I will live righteously, allowing the fruit of the Spirit to come forth from me in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to be everything that God has called me to be. Lord, I will follow you until my last breath and then for all eternity. I give you honor and I give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. Down.